You are listening to a New Season Church audio sermon. Prepare your heart to hear a word from God. Well, I hope you have your seat belt buckled this morning because I'm carrying on with our series, Elijah. And as I get into my message this morning, I want to give you a disclaimer first. This morning's message is intended to be a bit of a challenging one. It's intended to be one of introspection for ourselves. You see, because we only grow through discomfort. It is those things that challenge us and, and cause us to move out of our comfort zone that are actually the things that grow us. And God is more concerned by, about your character. He's more concerned about your heart than what He is concerned about the things that you have. Because ultimately God has called us to be formed in the image of Christ. And so there are times in our lives where we'll have to have the courage to look within ourselves and be honest with ourselves. And so this morning I want to talk to you about what is the place within your heart that God occupies. And there are there other things that maybe occupy a greater space within your life and within your heart than that of God. You see, when Jesus was asked, what is the number one commandment? He said, love your God with all your heart and all your mind. In the Old Testament, the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods other than me. And so if you want to have an overarching thought for this morning, and you can write this down in your notebook or in your Bible app, it would be this, that false gods promise what only the true God provides. You see, false gods promise only what the true God provides. And so if we look at um, what, are, what are false gods, it's in essence anything that we put ahead of God, anything that op- occupies a greater space within our hearts. It's anything that we pursue with greater fervency, with greater enthusiasm than what we pursue God and the things of God. And so a classic example would be probably money. Money gives us the false sense of what only God provides. You see, we, we know this, that even though we might have a lot of money, if we get sick, unfortunately, no matter amount of money will make us healthy. When we lose someone that's close to us, no amount of money will bring them back. You see, false gods promise what only the true God provides. And as we pick up in Elijah, we see that Elijah was in a time of really a lot of false gods. It was in a time where they had 200 years of evil kings. And it was during the time of King Ahab, who was regarded as the worst king out of everyone. He was the worst of the worst. He was the captain of the evil king's team. And so we find Elijah in this time. And Elijah, as I spoke last week to give you context, and if you didn't see our message, uh, you can download it and re, re-listen or re-watch, re-watch it so that you can get a greater understanding. But we see that God instructs uh, Elijah to go and stay down Ahab and pronounce a uh, drought because of the fact that uh, Ahab has turned the hearts of the Israelite nation away from the true God, the Lord God, and has caused them to worship false idols uh, such as Baal, um, and we saw that there was really horrendous uh, worship practices during that time. And so God uh, instructs him to call, call down a drought. And immediately God uh, takes Elijah away and sends him into a season of isolated pain, total dependence and unconditional obedience. And we see the reason that he did that was that Elijah needed to learn certain things 
of God and about God, that God would eventually move into a greater place of influence, and then God will move into a place where God has His will. And so we saw last week, and we finished off uh, our our uh, message last week in chapter 17, where we see that Elijah is found in the widow's house, and supernaturally the oil doesn't run out, and the flour doesn't run out, and her son dies. And Elijah, because of what he had been through, causes and prays uh, to God to raise the son from the dead. And so the, the son is raised from the dead. And that is the first time in the history of the Bible, it's never been done before, first account of someone being raised from the dead. And so we saw that God took Elijah through these different seasons in order to cause him to become a true person of God. And God will do the same thing for us, that God will take us through different seasons in our life. Some are challenging, some are difficult, some are painful, some are uh, lonely. But God is doing that in order to really mold us and shape us and develop us into the person of God that God wants us to become. And so uh, this morning we're going to pick up uh, the story from chapter 18. And you can turn there in your Bibles or your version Bible app. Uh, it's 1 Kings chapter 18. And verse 1 says that after three years of drought, so it's been three years since Elijah pronounced the drought, Israel in essence is in complete economic disarray. And there's been no water, there's been no rain, uh, agriculture has completely stopped. It's been three years since the drought has uh, started. And in Verse 1, God instructs Elijah. He says, look, I want you to go to Ahab and I want you to confront him. And so we're going to pick up from verse 17. And it says, the moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, so it's you, old troublemaker. It's not I who have caused the trouble of Israel, said Elijah, but you and your government. You dumped God's ways and commands and ran off after the local gods, the Baals. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel and make sure that the special pets of Jezebel, the 450 prophets of the local gods, the Baals and the 400 prophets of Asherah are there. So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly prophets, to Mount Carmel. And in this opening verse of this morning, really what Elijah is doing is confronting this idea of many gods. And let me just give you a little bit of, of context here. Uh, there is polytheism and monotheism. Polytheism is the idea that there are many gods. Poly meaning many and theo meaning God. So there, there's this Israel is in this environment of polytheism, which is having this idea that there are many gods. And you have monotheism. And what does that mean? Well, as Christians, we believe that there's only one true God. We don't believe in many gods. We believe that there's one true God. There's only one theo, monotheo. And um, Elijah is confronted in this environment of polytheism, that there are many gods. They worship many different idols and they worship many different gods. And as, as Christians... Uh, well, we would say, well, we are monotheists, right? We, we only believe one God. We don't believe that there are many different gods. As Christians, we believe there's only one true God. But here's the thing. We believe in one God, but in reality, we worship and serve many false gods. And most people today aren't worshiping uh, uh, the, the idol of Baal or Asherah. But in reality, we are worshiping other idols. We are 
worshipping other things ahead of God. You see, a false idol or a false god is anything that we elevate into the position of God. It would, it's anything that we put on the throne of our life that is besides God. It's anything that we put ahead of God. It's anything that we put in the rightful place of worship of God. And there are many things that we worship today. There are many things. Uh, we worship money. And you might say, we don't, we don't pray to it. We don't bow down to it. We don't have a shrine in our home for it. But in a lot of day, uh, ways, a lot of Christians, um, and I'm, I'm not talking about you because I know you guys are, are an awesome church. Uh, we, we're great. But <laughs> we, we often in our lives, we, we, we can, if we're not careful, put things ahead of God. We can elevate things. We can have pursuits that we place as a priority ahead of God. It can be money. It can be material possessions. It can be our jobs. It can even be our families and our children. You see, even though those things are sincere and they're good pursuits, anything that beca- anything taken to its extreme becomes a weakness. And so anytime we take anything, even though it's sincere and it's a, it's a noble pursuit to take care of your family, take care of your children, and to, and to make a living, and to have things to enjoy. If we are ever at a place in our lives where we place those things ahead of God and the pursuit of things in greater than the pursuit of God, what we've done is we've created a false idol in our, in our lives. And so I want to ask you this morning, what are some of the false idols that you serve? And this is that challenging part of the message that I was talking about. That really, in reality, all of us at some point in our lives have developed uh, certain false gods in our lives, things that we pursue with greater fervency, uh, things that we put in the place, in the rightful place of worship other than God. And so the question really for us is to look inside ourselves and introspect and really say to us, well, are there things in my life that I'm putting ahead of God? Are there things in my life that I'm putting in the place of worship where God should be? And they can be noble things. They can be noble pursuits. But anything that we pursue, anytime we pursue the gift rather than the gift giver, we create a false idol. And I'll be honest with you, for anyone in ministry and for most pastors, the, the calling and the church can become a false idol. That we pursue the calling, we pursue the promise of what God has given us. And this is really applicable to anybody. You can pursue your calling and you can pursue your purpose more than what you pursue God. That it becomes about attaining the, the, the promise of God instead of being close to God and understanding God and developing a, a deep relationship with Him. See, anytime we pursue the blessing of God more than we pursue God, we have the danger of creating a false idol or false God of their blessing. And like I said, you can put anything there. You can put money, material possessions, job, comfort, you know, this, this, this idea of, of security. You know, this, if you have enough money, or if you pile up enough stuff, then you will be secure. That can become a false idol. And so the question for every single one of us is really, are there any things, false idols within ourselves, within our hearts that we've developed, that we've built up, even without maybe necessarily knowing it, that need to be t- uh, torn down? And the reason why we need to do this is because in order to defeat something, we must define it. 
You see, we must define a false, uh, false idol before we can tear it down. And so when we identify and, and define it, we can tear it down and we can then turn our eyes and our focus to the true God, uh, our, our God, uh, found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so Elijah, as we come back to the story of Elijah, we see Elijah come into this polytheistic culture and environment. He really makes a, a strong prophetic declaration statement. And we pick it up in verse 20 uh, to 21. It says, So Ahab summoned everyone in Israel, particularly the prophets, to Mount Carmel. Elijah challenged the people, How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow Him. If it's Baal, follow Him. But make up your minds. And Elijah makes this statement, and it's a powerful statement. He says, look, if God is God, if my God, if God, the true God, the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Israel, is the true God, then follow Him. But if Baal is the true God, then follow Him. But don't sit on the fence. Don't waver between those two. And he makes the statement, and, and so he's gathered the whole nation, and he's gathered 450 prophets of of uh, of. Uh, Baal and Asherah, so 900 prophets. And he makes a statement to everybody. And what is the response? Silence. Nobody says anything. Nobody makes a move. And so really, the Israel nation was really willing to live unexamined lives of low conviction. And the crux of the statement is really this and and i want you to underline this in your notes or highlight it in in your in your bible app if god is god follow him and i believe that every single one of us will eventually be faced with this question somewhere along the line with a walk with god that if god is god then follow him and if we had to contextualize it in our modern day environment what elijah was really saying was look if god is god then follow him Go all out for him. But if, if, if material possessions is the true God, if that is the really true thing that you need to pursue, then pursue it. But then pursue with all, with everything. Then it doesn't matter. Then, then right or wrong doesn't matter. You know, then you can steal, you can backstep, you can manipulate because you are in pursuit of that thing. You know, if it's image, if, if body image is the, is the thing, then, then, why stop at exercising? Why stop at eating healthy? Then just go into debt and, uh, you know, go to the plastic surgeon and, you know, nip and tuck everything that you need to do in order to create the image that you feel that you need to be. You see, I know those are kind of extreme examples, but at the end of the day, that's what Elijah was saying. He says, look, if God is God, then follow him. But if Baal and all of these other things that you're placing ahead of God is God, then, then follow those things. Pursue those things with fervor and go, out, go all out for it. Really what God is saying and what the scripture is saying is that God wants to be the center of our lives. And so Elijah said to the people, if God is God, follow him. If Baal is Baal, follow him. But here's the thing. I wanna, I'm going to challenge you to prove to you which one is the real king. And so Elijah goes and says, look, we're going to do this. We're going to have a challenge. And let's pick it up from verse 22. It says, then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls, 
The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the, on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God and all the people agreed. And so Elijah puts this uh, challenge before them. He said, look, we're going to prove once and for all who is the true God. And he gives the prophets of Baal all the advantage. They were going to pick which uh, bulls they were going to use. And Elijah would then take the other one. And they would, they would lay the sacrifice at their altar, the altar of Baal that they built. And also, Elijah says, whichever God sets fire will be the true God. Baal was known as the God of the sun. And so if anybody could set anything to fire, it should be their God. Elijah gave the prophets all of the advantage. And he even goes on to mention, well, there's 450 of you and there's only me. So if there's anyone to have an advantage here, it should be you and your God. And so they, they, they lay this thing uh, forward. And really, Elijah had to have a lot of faith to put God on the line like this. But he had been through a season. He had seen God provide. He had seen what God can do. And he was sure that God would answer and show himself to be the true God. And so let's pick up from verse 26. And it says, So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced and hobbled around the altar that they had made. And about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You will have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. And so we see that the prophets of Baal, they're dancing, they are worshipping, they're even cutting themselves, calling out to Baal, their God, to set the sacrifice on fire. And I mean, they're doing this for hours and hours and hours. And eventually, Elijah gets a little bit cocky and he starts to you know, mock them. He says, hey, listen, you've been at this for a few hours and nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. You know, maybe, maybe your God is away on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you should shout a little bit louder because maybe he can't hear you. Or maybe he's relieving himself. In essence, maybe he's in the toilet. He's starting to mock them. He's starting to play around with them. You see, the problem was, is not their enthusiasm. The prophets of Baal were very enthusiastic and they had very energetic and very devoted prayer lives. I mean, they were praying for hours. They were jumping up and down. They were screaming. They were shouting. But nobody answered and there was no voice. And see, this is the sad result of worshipping uh, gods of our own making. Imaginary gods. That no matter how sincere, no matter how great our sacrifice, no matter how much devotion we have to such gods, it means nothing. Because there is no one there to answer. See, the prophets of Baal were very sincere in their worship, but they were sincerely wrong. They leaped about, they screamed, they shouted for hours on end. They had very energetic prayer lives, but their worship was enthusiastic and it was full of activity, but it was directed at the wrong God. 
because it was not directed at the real God, their prayer meant nothing. And right now we come to the climax of this account uh, between Elijah and the prophets. And we pick it up from verse 36. And it says, At the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of God flashed down from heaven and burnt up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah calls unto the true God. And the fire comes down, the fire of God comes down and it takes up everything. Not just the, the meat, but it takes up the, the wood, the meat, the stones, the dust. And it even takes up all the water that was in the trench. And it's important to know that Elijah didn't do this out of his own cleverness. He didn't do this out of his own presumption. It's important to know that, that Elijah said to God, do this so that, I will, that you will prove that I've done this at your command. Elijah was doing what God told him to do. God led him to this uh, showdown with the prophets. You see, the prophets were, of Baal were sincere. They had passion. They had commitment. They had devotion and great energy. What they did not have was a God that answers by fire. Elijah's petition took less than a minute, but it produced spectacular results. In contrast to the prophets of Baal that were praying for hours on end and didn't hear one thing. The difference was in the one addressed. And really my prayer for our church is that God will reveal himself to us. That God will reveal himself in his presence to us. That in his presence that those false idols, those things that are really weighing us down, because that's all false idols do. They weigh us down. They bring us down. It's, it's the weight on our shoulders that brings us down. That's why Jesus said, Come to me, all who you are weary, and I will give you rest. For my oak is easy and my burden is light. You see, God, it's, it's not that God is some egotistical maniac that wants complete devotion for us what he knows is that our pursuit of the things that are not our that are false are things that weigh us down and he is the source and he is the one that gives us true life and some of you might be wondering well well why doesn't god answer by fire as what he used to but here's the thing and here's the amazing thing that god actually answered in a far more greater and beautiful way that two thousand years ago god in bodily put himself in bodily form and came down to us he died for our sins he was resurrected to show his overcoming over death you see god said i'm not a i'm not a god that you have to constantly reach out to i am a god that loves you so much that i will even in my all in my all uh, powerful way even though i don't have to i will come down to you god comes down came down to us 
where all the other religions are telling us to come come up to a certain level, to come up and reach up to God. God is saying, no, I will meet you where you are at. I will come down. I reveal myself in Christ. I reveal myself in the sacrificial act of dying on the cross for you because I love you. When we know Him through Christ, then all the false gods will fall away. You see, if you know God for who He truly is, a God of grace, mercy and love, you'll never be tempted to follow false gods because our God is so much greater than any one of those. And I want to finish this morning with this scripture from 1 Corinthians 17 to 22 from the message translation says, Are you now going to accuse me of being flipped with my promises because it didn't work out? Do you think I talk out of both sides of my mouth? A glib yes one moment and a glib no the next? Well, you're wrong. I try to be as true to my word as God is to His. Our word to you wasn't a careless yes canceled by an indefinite no. How could it be? When Silas and Timothy and I proclaimed the Son of God among you, did you pick up on any yes and no, on again, off again waffling? Wasn't it the clean, strong yes? Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In Him, this is what we preach and pray. The great Amen, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us, makes us a sure thing in Christ, putting His yes within us. By His Spirit, He has stamped us with His eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what is to what He destined is to be complete. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, is saying, look, when we came to you, we weren't wavering between yes and no. We weren't sitting on the fence. We, we, we didn't give you a glib yes and a glib no, or an unsure yes and then an indefinite no. No, our yes was a strong and clean yes. And in the same way, God doesn't waver between yes and no when it comes to the promises He has in, word, in the Word for you. His answer to every promise is a resounding yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He says when His yes and our yes get combined together, together it produces something great. We are a sure thing in Christ. He stamps us with His Spirit. Oh, it's, it's a precursor of what is to come. His yes and our yes. His yes was on the cross 2000 years ago. And our yes is every day, that every day we choose Him. When we see God for who He truly is, we respond with a resounding yes. And when those two yeses come together, His yes and our yes, it produces a great thing in our lives. And really ultimately what God is saying to us is, look, I have shown you how much I care for you. I have shown you my commitment to you. It was on the cross. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Even while we were in our sin, even when the Word says we were enemies with Christ, Christ still endured the cross for us. And so when we see God for who He truly is, the only response should be to follow Him and worship Him and to adore Him. We trust that this message has blessed you. 
We would like to invite you to worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. at our Easter's campus.